everybody. Jeff Hobbs here, uh, general manager, manager of the Arizona Greenbacks. Today is August the 6th, 2020. And uh, welcome to, I guess this is episode number seven of This Week in Fake Ball. This Week in Fake Ball is your favorite podcast dealing with the RBA, mainly because it's the only regular podcast dealing with the RBA. And I am broadcasting to you from the mountains of Boone, North Carolina, at the edge of downtown Boone, 3,500 feet above sea level from the Hobsienda. That's right, I just said Hobsienda. Uh, because if you haven't figured it out by now, the primary purpose of this podcast is to make you angry. Anyway, uh, so here in Boone, North Carolina, everything is about to become awful. Uh, the students just started moving back a few days ago. August 1st, obviously, is the, is the day a lot of people move in because their leases start. And uh, this town is about to become a petri dish. The university is still pretending that we're going to have classes face-to-face, some classes face-to-face. I'm counting the days until they cancel that decision. Uh, this, is, uh, this is about the most predictable disaster we've had since the Iraq War. Anyway, um, let's see here. So, we've got a lot to cover today, and we're going to be talking about 2004 here in a little bit. Uh, but, uh, but first of all, I would like to go off the board again into complete uh, ir- irrelevant territory and throw out a congratulations. Uh, last time I congratulated the, let's see, I congratulated former RBA head coach Todd Freimeyer on winning the most recent Hobbs Hockey Association Stanley Cup. And this time, I would like to congratulate... uh, I would like to congratulate Jeff Hobbs. Please make it stop. This is definitely getting worse. Yeah. I would like to congratulate Jeff Hobbs on making the playoffs. In uh, in a baseball season that I recently joined, uh, helped found... Uh, that begins in 1945 called uh, the Post-War Baseball Association. And anyway, so it starts in 1945 and moves forward through time from there. And uh, my Decatur Defenestrators made the playoffs. And then unfortunately we got bounced in the first round. So, so much for that. But it was my first ever retro league season. And for that, I guess it's a pretty good season. Uh, Let's see here. All right, so enough of that. Let's get into the RBA. Uh, I was, um, let's see here. I was originally going to call this podcast the 2004 Invective Tour because I plan on making fun of just about everybody who was in the RBA those days, including uh, and probably especially myself. We'll get into that uh, when we get into 2004, a little bit more, 2003-2004, this era of the RBA, relatively early in the history of the league. Um, But before I do that, let's talk a little bit about 2020, the season that is uh, almost halfway over at this point. I think as of the last C-File, every team had played 70 games, not including, I guess, rainouts. Uh, so that means we will cross the halfway point in the season 
between now and when the next uh, episode of Fake Ball comes out in about a month. And uh, so we're, we're obviously a good ways into the season now. And there were two big trades, and this is the real story of the last couple weeks of the RBA. Two big trades, both involving the Atlanta Avalanche selling off and selling to two teams that want to beef up, obviously, and make a run for the title this year. The first trade was with the Dunedin Clear Blues, a sibling, uh, a sibling trade here. And this one involved Will Harris, Liam Hendricks, and Josh Donaldson moving from Atlanta to Dunedin. A pretty big deal there, as you will see. I'll go ahead and give you the change. I'll, 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 I'll say what this did in terms of the almighty Hobbs spreadsheet. Dunedin had a score of 96. That's in good, uh, but definitely not great territory. Not even, not even very good or near great territory, probably, but it's, very, it's maybe very good. I don't know, wherever you want to draw those lines, right? Anyway, Dunedin was a 96. They, after getting those three players, are a 124. So they've gone all the way into borderline great territory and probably on, on the great side of that borderline. Again, it's all arbitrary, but they gain 28 points, which is a lot. That is roughly 10 wins, okay? 10 wins out of 162 games. That's a big improvement. Atlanta drops 26 points uh, from an 86, so just above average, right, to a 58 to a 58. Um, that's not in terrible that's not in terrible territory, but it's definitely bad. Then, not to be finished, they did another trade, Atlanta did. And they dealt Josh Hader and Vasquez to Barea. Barea jumps from a 117 uh, near near great territory to a 131, which is in with is definitely in great territory. A 131 for Berea. They have the highest score in the league. They jump seven points ahead of the new Dunedin squad. Atlanta falls further from a 58 to a 42. 42, you are in borderline terrible territory. All right, so those two trades were done just in the last, I, I want to say about a week ago, a week and a half ago, right before I played Atlanta, fortunately for me. And uh, Arizona did manage to take four out of five to give themselves a bit more hope for the 2020 RBA season. Okay. All right. So the next, the next segment of this podcast is going to be milestones. And we have a few to discuss this time. Let me pull up the, uh, the spreadsheet here. Okay. So uh, I actually have four milestones, two of which are big, big milestones. The first is the, uh, the first milestone was reached by the Scottsdale Bethel Park State College Berea franchise. All right, this is one of the uh, one of the eight original franchises in the RBA, and three of those eight are no longer even in the league. So, one of five remaining original franchises. Anyway, this franchise just reached one thousand career wins, a thousand career wins for the Berea franchise. Congratulations there! And also, we have one thousand career regular season wins. Uh, for John Christopher, the franchise that he manages, the Silver City Vultures, began life, as the Brits say, um, as the Tallahassee Apaches way back in 2001, another original franchise. 
they crossed a thousand wins last season. Uh, not last season, early this season, I suppose, very early this season. Uh, but John Christopher just reached a thousand recently as a coach. In fact, John Christopher currently sits at uh, 1,008 wins as of the last C-File. Berea, by the way, sits at 1,004, that franchise. So those are the two big milestones. Now a couple of lesser milestones, but still noteworthy. Uh, Mike Capados, Mike Capados of the uh, of the Berea franchise. Notice how the Berea franchise reached 1,000 wins? Well, Mike Capados in his sixth season at the helm has just reached 400 career wins. He sits at 408 as of the last C-File. 408 career wins for Mike Capados. And finally, John Ritchie, relative newcomer, uh, the newest, he's certainly the junior member of the league in his third season coaching, just reached 200 career wins. He got his 200th win uh, since the last episode of Fake Ball, and he currently sits at 205. So he just recently swept Elm Grove. So it was the win before that sweep that got him to 200 career. Congratulations to John Ritchie of uh, Susquehanna, Mike Capados of Berea, John Christopher of Silver City, and the entire Berea franchise for reaching those milestones. Congratulations to all. Okay. On to the next segment, moving right along here, uh, the ass match. We're going we're gonna to go back in time, and we're going to do a couple of replay champions series. So this is going to be kind of fun. I'm going to have to pull everything up here, but I think I've got it pretty much ready to go. Let me exit out of a couple of things here. And uh, we're going to talk about, uh, we'll talk about the ass match first as the undercard in many ways to the champions match. Okay, so going back, the, uh, the, the ass match was won, the, the first ever ass match was won by the 2002 Chicago Wave over the 2001 Tallahassee Apaches. And by one, I mean they lost the series. So they get to continue as the quote-unquote ass of the league. We got to crown... Our first ass. I don't know exactly what it means to crown an ass, uh, but I'll let your imagination run wild with that one. Just take it and go. All right, so anyway, our current ass of the league is the expansion 2002 Chicago Wave, and they will defend their quote-unquote title against another team. So let me just go ahead and do this boxing style. Why not? Uh, Here we go. The, uh, let's see, in this corner... The challenger from 2003, weighing in at an RBA record 30 wins and 51 losses, but 51.3 replay wins, the lowest to date through 2003. The 2003 Las Vegas Effect. And here is Las Vegas's roster. You may want to grab a trash can. Uh, let's see. We've got Brad Wilkerson, Adam Dunn, the star of the team, Ryan Klesko, actually had a big year. J.D. Drew, Bill Miller, A.J. Pierzynski, Vazquez, don't know who, uh, that might have been Ramon, yeah, probably Ramon, and Aaron Boone, that's the lineup. The rotation is Javier Vazquez, go figure, he was playing for, for Cooper. Uh, Joe Kennedy, Kyle Loesch. Brandon Duckworth and the absolutely atrocious Tanyan Sturza uh, from that season. And the bullpen, which is amazingly awful. Tony Armas. This is the end of season roster, by the way. Tony Armas was the closer. Paul Wilson, Ryan Dempster, 
Uh, Chris Benson. Oh, boy, were these guys bad. And Carl Pavano. That is maybe the worst bullpen I've ever seen. I don't, that's saying a lot, though. I don't know. Anyway, and over in this corner, your defending champion, weighing in at an RBA record 27 wins, 54 losses, 54.4 average replay wins, the 2002 Chicago Wave, or should I say your 2002 Chicago Wave, coached by the intrepid Jared McCormick. And here is their roster. The lineup, Luis Castillo. I'll ask it again. Why was he batting leadoff? Sean Casey, Jose Cruz Jr., the superstar, Albert Pujols uh, in his rookie season. Ben Grieve, Raul Mondesi, Javi Lopez, Royce Clayton. And the rotation. Here he is again, folks. Ryan Dumpster, uh, Randy Wolf, Russ Ortiz, Paul Wilson, Glendon Rush, the bullpen, uh, Billy Wagner, who was good, Trevor Hoffman, who was also good, and then you've got Ishmael Valdez, uh, Eric Gagne before he was good, and the absolutely atrocious Alan Lavreau. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is your ass match, the 2003 Las Vegas Effect versus the 2002 Chicago Wave. And what do we have? What do we have for you folks? (laughs) Well, I've got some results. I went ahead and played this series, and I will quickly run through them. All right. Game one was a 4-3 barn burner, uh, won by the 03 effect. I have to say that the 03 effect are favored, and by favored, again, I mean favored to lose this series, but both teams were so bad that it's, it's, it's almost a coin flip. And Las Vegas did, in fact, win the, um, they did win game one, four to three, over uh, Randy Wolf. Actually, Javier Vasquez threw a uh, complete game. Game two, three to one. You can see the offensive outbursts going on here. Three to one in favor of Chicago. So the series is tied. Uh, The series is tied here. All right, game number three. Nine to three blowout by the Las Vegas effect. Vegas takes a two to one lead in the series. Josh Towers gets murdered for Chicago, as does, well, mainly Josh Towers. Um, Kyle Loesch has a pretty good start, looks like, for, uh, for the effect. And let's move on to game four. So we have a two to one lead for Vegas and they win game four to go up three one in the series. Las Vegas, the 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 really infamous 03 effect, may not be crowned an ass. They may not get that designation. Uh Tony Armas gets the win for the 03 effect. They win this game five to two. Home runs by Dunn, Klesko, and Drew. And the uh, effect face elimination by winning game five, or do they? They don't. 0-2 Chicago wins game five to make it a 3-2 series and stay alive, quote-unquote. Russ Ortiz uh, started that game for Chicago. Looks like Randy Wolf got the win in relief. He came in later. Uh, So, anyway, two home runs by Raul Mondesi in that game. So we go to game six. 3-2 Vegas leads the series. And the final of game six... 2-1, 2-1, Vegas. Javier Vasquez again uh, with a complete game. He was the hero of this series, and he prevents, along with some of his teammates, uh, the 0-3 effect from, uh, from being crowned the second ass of the replay series, whatever you want to call this thing that I'm doing. So anyway, folks, the 0-2 Chicago wave 
advance. They, they, they defend their title as the ass of the league, and they will play the worst team from the 04 podcasts. We will get to those 04 podcasts at some point soon. I'm um, going to take a little uh, brief detour here before we get to the Champions match. One of the purposes of this podcast is to relate some funny stories or some interesting stories from the past. And I've watched or I've listened to the previous RBA podcast that we've done, uh, the replay podcast that I've done with JR, two or three that Ch- uh, Chad has done with JR, as well as whatever other ones we've done through the years, a few maybe. And, you know, in- inevitably, certain stories don't get told because we just don't think of them. So I've thought of three little stories. Um, I have thought of three little stories, minor stories, you could call them, from this era of the league's history. And the first one I'd like to tell involves Ryan Dempster. So I mentioned before that I was originally planning on calling this uh, podcast, this, this episode, the 2004 Invective Tour, and we'll get to that Invective later. But, uh, but I'm actually going to call it the 2004 Ryan Dumpster Tour. This is an homage. This, this episode is a tribute to Ryan Dumpster. He appeared on both teams in the ass match, so now's as good a time as any to relate the following story. So, how's this going to work? Well, uh, here's what happened. So, it's about the year, I think it's like 2002, and our commissioner, who uh, usually shall remain nameless, or from now on, I'm going to use this clip uh, to describe him. You, you, you idiot, you, 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 you idiot. Yes, uh, he uh, called me on the phone, or I called him or something. This was during the school year. It might have even been a weekday. We were in grad school, so our schedules were a bit flexible. Uh, anyway, we're talking on the phone, and it's like noon or 1 p.m. or something, and, and JR says to me, the Reds actually have a day game today. They play at, you know, 2 o'clock or something. And starting for the Reds is going to be Ryan Dumpster. And he says to me, I'm going to drink a beer uh, for every batter Ryan Dempster walks. And everybody who remembers Ryan Dempster remembers that he had the tendency to get wild. So I said, oh, this, that, that ought to be fun. Uh, or at least has the potential to be. I got to go do something. I don't remember now what it was, but I'm like, I got to go do something. I'll be back in like five hours. I'll give you a call. See how it, see how it went. So later on, come back, uh, give him a call. I say, well, how was it, JR? And he says, I couldn't keep up. Uh, dumpster walked, you know, seven batters in five innings or whatever. I literally could not keep up. It's too early in the day for that. And uh, for people who knew JR back then, that's pretty impressive. Uh, he could throw he could throw back a few beers in the day, and uh, but he even he could not keep up with early aughts Ryan Dempster, and so uh, so that was a failed mission on the part of Jr. But an understandable, an understandable failure for sure. Ryan Dempster, ladies and gentlemen, uh, he had some good years in his career, but I think oh one oh two those were not good years uh, in the majors. I mean, okay, so let's get on with the uh, let's do the. Let's, oh, you know what? Since we're pay, since we're paying tribute, I have this. I have one other drop pulled up here. Since we're paying tribute to Ryan Dempster, um, actually, I'm going to hold this uh, for the end. Or should I? Nah, so let's, we'll just continue with it right here. This is all impromptu, as you can tell. This is uh, this is Ryan Dempster, who's a pretty funny guy. It must be a Canadian thing. There are lots of Canadian comedians out there. But anyway, here's Ryan Dempster being asked how Harry Carey would call. 
his first ever home run if he ever hit one in the major leagues. Here goes. When the big day comes that you finally hit that first major league home run, how would the legendary Harry Carey have called it? Well, everybody is one away there in the bottom half of the second inning. Tepster's up with the plate. Hey, did you guys know on the weekend I went down to that local Dairy Queen? They're having a special. Two for one. There's a, there's a fly ball to the left. Two for one blizzards. I, and I got to tell you, there's nothing better than going in there and ordering two. What? They hit a home run. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Uh, you got to love Ryan Dempster doing, basically that's Ryan Dempster doing Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey. So it's getting pretty meta around here, but uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, like I said, this episode is a tribute to the great Ryan Dumpster and it will be called the 2004 Ryan Dumpster in uh, <laughs> the 2004 Ryan Dumpster tour because it has to be. All right. Anyway, moving on to the champions match. Let's pull up, uh, Let's pull this up here. Okay, so let's do this boxing ring style again. Uh, in this corner, the challenger from 2003, weighing in at an RBA record 52 wins and 29 losses, an average of 105.4 replay wins, the 2003 Elm Grove Cardinals. All right, the 2003 Elm Grove Cardinals. I'm going to have to pull up their, uh, hang on one second here, I'm going to have to pull up their roster. So I accidentally closed that spreadsheet. I apologize, folks, but you know what? This is amateur hour after all. Here is their roster. Luis Castillo, uh, again, uh, Ordonez, Maglio, I guess. Uh, Jim Tomey, Alex Rodriguez, Pat Burrell, Eric Chavez, uh, Steve Finley, Craig Wilson, Rotation, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, Matt Morris, John Lieber, uh, Tom Glavin, and in the uh, bullpen, Jason Isringhausen, Eric Gagne, Romero, uh, JC Romero, Trevor Hoffman, Jorge Julio, and Juan Acevedo. Ladies and gentlemen, your 2003 Elm Grove Cardinals and the defending champion weighing in at an RBA record 43 wins, 38 losses, 95.7 average replay wins, the 2001 Fort Worth first baseman. And let me see if I can find that team. All right, here we go. The Fort Worth first baseman have a lineup of Craig Biggio, Chipper Jones, Barry Bonds, Manny Ramirez, Jeff Bagwell, Carl Everett, uh, Mike Bordick, Joe Girardi, Rotation of Randy Johnson, Ryan Dempster. Hey, there you go. Uh, he's in three of these four teams. Uh, person, Woody Williams, Kirk Reeder, bullpen of Dan Plesak, Mike Fetters, whew, Franco, John Franco, I guess, Shaw, whoever that is again, and Todd Jones. So here's what happened. Your commissioner, uh, and by, well, not commissioner, your your host, Screwed this one up by accident, but it's okay. I accidentally uh, played the games automatically, which, mean, which meant that it took about three seconds to play the games. And, uh, and so I didn't get to watch it, but I have the results. And here's what happened. Game one, Elm Grove absolutely slaughters Fort Worth. Eight to one, they beat Fort Worth. Uh, it was Pedro Martinez's day, and it was often Pedro Martinez's day back then. Randy Johnson got killed. Uh, for 
Fort Worth. Game two was even worse for Fort Worth, 17-2 Elm Grove. So the score combined, I guess, is 25-3 at this point in the series. Uh, well, not much to say here other than Elm Grove just had their, had their way. 22 hits in the game. Game three, 12-7, so closer, but once again, Elm Grove wins. Elm Grove goes up 3-1, 3-0 in the series. Game four, 6-2, Elm Grove. We have a sweep and a new champion to crown here. The 03 Elm Grove Cardinals are the champions. Uh, they are the champions for now. They will face the winner of the 2004 uh, replays. And because I played these games accidentally and automatically, it actually played all seven games that I had outlined in the series that I had set to go in case we needed them. And get this, Elm Grove won game five. They won game six. And they won game seven. It would have been a seven-game sweep if this were a best of 13, I guess. So that is domination right there. Our new champion, our new champion, the 03 Elm Grove Cardinals. Let's see if they can keep that belt through 04. So now we get to go back and talk about 03 and 04, and I'll run the 2004 replays. Or I've already run them. I'll give you the results. Um, and here's where the Invective Tour begins. So in 2003, I've got to make fun of myself first and foremost, because I made, in my opinion, I made three, three big mistakes in 2003, uh, one at the beginning of the season, one in the middle, and one at the end. The one at the beginning, I think, is somewhat defensible, uh, somewhat. Uh, I, this was the trade I made with Pete, and it always hurts to lose a trade to Pete, but I got to, this was the trade I made to get Pudge Rodriguez. Uh, the reason I say it's sort of defensible was at the time, Pudge was probably the best catcher in the league. Piazza had gotten old. Uh, Javi Lopez had gotten old. He was probably the best catcher all around in the league at this point. And I also got Bobby Kilty, who I really liked. <laughs> he, he was really good for that season. He looked really promising, and then he just went nowhere. Unfortunately, here's what I gave up. Uh, CC Sabathia who did go on to have a really long career and is just now winding it down. Uh, let's see. Um, who was the other? Oh, Cliff Floyd, who had injury problems, but was good for another year or two. And a throw-in named Jason Veritek, who immediately got good in the major league. So it ended up long-term being a, like a three-for-one trade, at least for the next couple seasons. So that one hurt. That one hurt. In the middle of the season, I made a mistake by trading Jason Isringhausen to Elm Grove. Now, Chad, over the years, has, uh, this has become something of a fish story. Uh, he's, he's, he's exaggerated what I, uh, he's exaggerated how little I got for Isringhausen, but I still traded him for too little. I did not know the value of relief pitchers, especially closers. Uh, back then, I, I had this sort of bias where I thought relief pitchers were just pitchers who weren't good enough to be starters, which in real life often is the case. But when you have the hindsight of looking at their statistics from the season before and seeing just how dominant a guy like Isringhausen was, I should not have traded him. That was the, that was the one lesson I think that took me the longest to learn, and I don't think I really learned it fully until about 2005. And finally, at the end of the season, or rather at the trade deadline, I think I made a mistake by selling off that team. I probably should have kept it. Uh, Adam doesn't give you or didn't give you anything for players back then, and uh, I probably should have kept it and just seen what happened. But I didn't, and there you go. 
One other story from 2003 before we move on to 2004 uh, involves our good friend Matt Cooper. And this is a big subject in, in the RBA's history, philosophically, I guess, or strategically, you could say. Um, so I mentioned that I try to tell stories that I, that I forgot to tell in prior podcasts or whatever. And this is one that I forgot to tell in the 03 podcast. Both Cooper and Chad seemed to have this opinion, and I do not want to straw man their argument. So either of them can, can tell me if they, if they think differently or whatever, but there's just no other interpretation for this. They both seem to have this belief that if a player had had a fluky year, if a bad player had had a good year, that he shouldn't be good in the RBA, even in the season that's based off of that good year. It's like the underlying numbers didn't matter. They thought that if a player was bad and had a fluky year, he should still be bad in the RBA. It was the most bizarre thing I think I've ever encountered. I, I cannot wrap my head around it even today. But anyway, my one example, and I'd be curious to, I'd be curious if Cooper remembers this conversation. We had a lot of conversations like this back then. But but Cooper and I were having a conversation on Instant Messenger, and this was in 2003. Remember, back in the day, Instant Messenger was like what everybody used. And uh, we're having a conversation, in the, like kind of early, I think, in the 03 season about our teams for that year. And I have to emphasize that the conversation was only about that season. It was how good, how good we thought our teams were, or he was asking me how good he thought my team was for the 2003 RBA season. And I said, well, we're really strong. You know, we've got Helton at first base and Jeter at short and Pudge at catcher. And I said, uh, I've got Herbert Perry, who's a good third baseman. You know, he's, he's good this year for th- third base. And Cooper, Cooper texts, or he, he, he responds, quote, Herbert Perry sucks. Sigh. Which blew my mind because, again, the conversation was strictly about 2003. It wasn't, it wasn't how good you think your team is going to be in 04 or 05. We're, we're not talking about the future here. We're talking about 03. But because he didn't like Herbert Perry, he thought Herbert Perry shouldn't even be good in 2003 when in 2003 was based on Herbert Perry's good, like, like not great, but 830, 840 OPS um, major league stats. Strange. I wonder if Cooper remembers that conversation. And Chad had the same opinion, it seems, but we'll get to that. So into 2004. All right, going into 2004. Uh, here's what happens. Uh, Baines, Jason Baines, leaves the RBA and hands his team over to Jeff Florian, who moves it to State College and calls it the State College Cows. Splits are introduced into the RBA. Lefty-righty splits, which is obviously a big... Uh, a big innovation and an important one, and I think uh, I think a very valuable one. What else? We um, well, let me just very quickly go through my beginning scores. There was a lot of parity this year. The front runner at the start of the season was Las Vegas, and they had a one twelve. Not a great team, but a very very good one. Uh, then you've got Arizona. I'm doing the Larkin Division. Arizona was an eighty nine. Elm Grove in 85. Again, this is the start of the season. Baltimore 73, Rockford 57. Over in the pucket. Oh boy, Walla Walla a 94. 94 was the best in that division. Louisville 71, Chicago 76, Silver City 71, and State College 51. Anybody's game except maybe State College. State College was not that bad at the start of the season, uh, though. And uh, the season gets underway. And my, my tough stretch continues and I have to tell the other story now. So Chad, and actually Chad suggested maybe joining me on a, uh, 
a podcast. We could have like a bonus episode or something. But I'd be curious to to, to ask Chad this question again because I don't think he's ever really answered it, and I don't I don't know. But so in the third round of the '04 draft, I late in the third round, I took a guy named Greg Myers who was a catcher, 880 OPS catcher, and he just fell. And I so eventually I took him. And Chad, Chad was just indignant about this. And I think it was at the, I think it was at the 05 RBA weekend. He, uh, he starts, he starts in on me about having taken Greg Myers and I just, I'm flabbergasted. And I looked at him and I said, where should I have taken Greg Myers? You got an 880 OPS catcher who falls to the third round, the latter part of the third round. Where should I have taken him? Uh, like the ninth round? Are you serious? He looks at me and very earnestly says, you don't ever take Greg Myers. So I don't think he was trolling. He was serious. He may have had a few. I don't know. But anyway, I'd be curious to see if Chad remembers that story also. Uh, But I remember it clear as day. That's one of those vivid memories I had because I was so taken aback by it. I was like, you can't, what planet am I on here? Anyway, so the Greenbacks tough stretch does continue though. 2004 was not my best year. I sell off my team from an 89 down to a spreadsheet score of 70. State College sells themselves all the way from a 51 down to a 19. Elm Grove and and the rest of the Puckett division beefs itself up. And our final standings are as follows. Let's see. Let me pull it up. Okay. Elm Grove wins the uh, Larkin division with a record of 51 and 30. Vegas goes 49 and 32. Rockford, 37 and 44. Your poor, beleaguered, bedraggled Arizona Greenbacks go 34 and 47. Oh, the frustration was really starting to build by this, by this point. Baltimore goes 32 and 49 over in the pocket. Silver City wins a tremendous race with a record of 45 and 36. I say tremendous because listen to this, 45 and 36 for Silver City. Walla Walla, 44 and 37. Chicago, 44 and 37 also. Louisville, 43 and 38. There could have been a four-way tie atop the pocket. And State College goes 26 and 55. So it's, um, it's Elm Grove against Silver City in the finals. This was supposed to be a coronation for Elm Grove. It was supposed to be their third straight title, and it was not. John beats Chad to win his first title. And ladies and gentlemen, that was the 2004 regular season and playoffs. Now to the replays. All right, here goes. Here are the replay results, and I'm going to have to pull up one other spreadsheet. But anyway, here goes. So the uh, the replay results, or maybe I'll just read them as is. Um, remember that these can differ a lot from the way that they used to be. So uh, I'll go top to bottom, division by division, starting with the Larkin. The winner of the Larkin division in 2004, with an average of 96.5 replay wins the elm grove cardinals 96.5 they beat las vegas i think a lot of people myself included thought las vegas had a little better team but elm grove really did beef themselves up and they win they make the playoffs 10 out of 20 times in second the las vegas effect 92.9 about three and a half behind elm grove and they make the playoffs the other 10 times arizona finishes third at 77.3 slightly below average, uh, Baltimore, 74.9, and Rockford, 62.7. Uh, in the pocket, 
Louisville wins the division with, get this, an average of 96. So, ladies and gentlemen, Elm Grove does win the 2004 replays by half a win per over Louisville. And 2004 Elm Grove will challenge 2003 Elm Grove in the next replay champions series. Uh, but Louisville does win the pocket division. They make the playoffs 11 out of the 20 times. Walla Walla, 93 average wins. They make it eight times. Chicago, 84.8. They make it once. Silver City, 75.1. They, they were the champions that year. And uh, State College, 58.8. So they do worse than 62.7 Rockford. Uh, State College will square off against O2 Chicago. They'll try to unseat O2 Chicago uh, to become the new ass of the league. We'll see what happens. I'll probably do that in the next couple weeks. And those are your 2004 replays. So we covered a lot, and we are just about done here. That was 2004, as well as an update before that on 2020. Who knows? Chad and I may have a bonus episode of uh, This Week in Fake Ball sometime soon. I don't know. This is an extremely busy time for me with regard to online classes and preparation for the fall and everything. So uh, who knows? It might be a few months, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe it'll be sooner than I think. Anyway, that's it for this episode, episode number seven of This Week in Fake Ball, the 2004 Ryan Dumpster Tour, and I will see you all next time.